Well, good morning. It's good to be with you today and to study our Bibles together. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Colossians chapter 1, where we're going to spend most of our time together today. That'll be the key anchor passage for our study as we look at a couple of verses in Colossians chapter 1 that a few months ago kind of struck out to me and I thought were of interest as we think about life. What kind of life do you want? What kind of life do you desire? There are all kinds of ways to answer that question and to answer that question correctly or in a godly fashion. And there are all kinds of ways to answer that question from a carnal-minded point of view. I want a life filled with riches. I want a life filled with fame. I want a life filled with lots of friends. And I want to be able to make an impact on the world or about me. And necessarily those things are not always bad to have goals in mind financially or in terms of making an impact on the world around us. But as Christians, we understand what life is about is different than what the world sometimes suggests. And for us, we want to have a life that is really fulfilled, that is really rich in ways that are different than maybe others in the world would associate. I want to talk about living a fulfilled life and what that means to live a life of fulfillment and meaning by using Colossians chapter 1 as our base or anchor text. Before we get to Colossians chapter 1 verse 9, which is where our study begins this morning, I'd like to go back and read the previous six or so verses where the apostle in writing in what is uh, frequently called the most Christ-centered epistle in all the New Testament, that is, of all the New Testament books, the one that talks about Christ, that talks about his preeminence, that talks about his role, that talks about the, the important uh, place that he was in service. Notice what he says in verse 3. He says, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. We'll talk about that in just a few moments. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which, he says, has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God and truth. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who has also declared to us your love in the Spirit. Now let's read verses 9, 10, 11, and 12, which will form the basis for our study today. He says, For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. There's praying again. We're going to talk about that in just about two minutes. With the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you may walk worthy of the Lord. Fully pleasing him. Being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy. And then verse 12 giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. We can go on reading, and as Bible students, as people who care about Scripture, we always want to read more. Say, well, I want to read more. I want to get more. Well, uh, let's just focus on those four verses for the sake of our time together 
this morning. What does it mean to have a fulfilled life? And I kind of highlighted this in our introduction just a couple of moments ago, but if you would consider the different ways that people measure fulfillment, and there are all kinds of ways that we do so. One that has always struck me, and that is important, uh, but yet maybe has gotten a little bit too much importance, is that is, I want to make sure that my family tree I want to make sure that the genealogy that comes after me, I want to make sure that my children and grandchildren are successful, are wealthy, uh, make an impact on the world. And while there's nothing wrong with that, we as Christians say, wait a minute, I think there's more to life than just having successful children in a carnal sense. What about financial independence? We want financial independence for our children. Uh, one, because we will want them depending on us forever. And secondly, we want them to be able to do better than we have done. That's one of those phrases that we use when we talk about our children growing up and becoming financially independent. But that's not what it's all about either. Some would say that making a cure for cancer, which would be wonderful, that that would be what would be the greatest legacy that I could leave to the world when I'm gone. World fame or importance or some sort of role. We understand that fulfillment for Christians is determined by doing what God has asked us to do. And so if a person using those three things maybe doesn't have as successful as children as he or she wants, is financially destitute at the time of his or her death, and really will not make any big impact on the world around himself or herself, if that person dies, but yet is a faithful child of God, that person has lived a fulfilled life. And one of the great things about that is, it is within our capacity, everybody here, I guarantee you, as they would say, as a friend of mine would say, in Kentucky, I guarantee you, I, I, I guarantee you that every person who is here today can have a fulfilled life. You know, if you go to a motivational speaker or maybe some sort of a financial seminar, you might hear that and say, oh boy, here he's going to tell me about the, the risks I've got to take and how much is it going to cost me and what kind of time is it going? Well, it will cost you a little bit. It will take some time, it will take some effort as we're going to talk about, but after all, we sang, I want to be a worker for the Lord. We didn't say, I want to be a slothful, lazy man for the Lord. That just doesn't sound good. But I want to be a worker for the Lord. We said that to one another, and we said that to our God in praise today. So I believe that Colossians chapter 1 is a great place because it is very practical in the way that it seems to me to be written that it nicely outlines a series of four things that are necessary for a fulfilled life from a Christian's point of view. If you do these four things, no matter how much money you don't have or your legacy is not as great as maybe as that you wanted in terms of the world, you will have a fulfilled life. Let's look at these four verses and outline these four things in our study today. I want to start, first of all, by prayer. For others, Notice that I did not say pray. Now, prayer is important. Prayer in general is, is a concept that we as Christians already understand. We get that. But the thing that I really noticed about verse 9 in the text is the importance of praying for others. Without a doubt, we understand that prayer is an important thing for those of us who are Christians. Luke 18 says that, uh, I desire that men pray always, Luke 18, verse 1. 
uh, as Luke is recording, and then goes on to record a kind of model prayer for us where Jesus is working with his early disciples. Most of us can memorize 1 Thessalonians 5.17 because it's only a few words where it says, pray without ceasing. The idea of having a very prayerful life. So we understand that. But let me make a statement here that may come across as a little bit wrong. I hope it doesn't make you cock your head a little bit to the left too much. But I do want to get your attention with this statement. And that is, I believe if we're not careful, prayer can become a merely selfish activity. There is nothing wrong with going to God in prayer and saying, God, I'm hurting physically. God, I'm hurting spiritually. God, I'm hurting financially. We can go to God in prayer, and we should. In fact, Hebrews chapter 4 says we go to our God in time of N-E-E-D, need. So we go to our God when we need Him. But might I caution you, and might I caution myself, that if the majority of our prayer life is about me, myself, and I, we've missed the mark on what prayer is really about. Because when you think about the prayer of Jesus, for example, in John chapter 17, where he spends what we call 20 verses or so in praying to the Father, how much does he focus on himself? Well, you'll be right to either guess or to say very little. Instead, what he does is he focuses on the immediate disciples. He focuses on the future disciples and those who will come later in the kingdom. Note, if you would... What Paul says in verse 9, he says, This reason also, echoing what we read in verse 3, we do not cease to pray for you. And I believe that's the important part of the verse, pray for you. Paul says, speaking for himself and for Timothy, the person who is listed as the co-author of the letter in verse 1, he says, we are constantly praying for you. Ephesians chapter 1, if you back up just maybe five or six pages in your Bibles, in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse uh, 15, he says, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. We need to be praying for one another and for others in the world as much as, if not more, than we pray for ourselves. Again, please don't misunderstand me. Preacher said I can't pray for my own uh, needs anymore. That's not what I'm saying. But if you go a week or two weeks or three weeks, let's really exaggerate the point, and you don't ever pray about your brothers and sisters who are struggling, you don't ever pray about those who are lost. You don't ever pray about those who we get emails and text messages about, those that are going through surgical procedures or those who have lost loved ones. You miss the mark in what prayer is really about. And might I suggest be very specific and be very intentional in praying for others. So there's nothing wrong with, especially when you only have a few moments of prayer, to say, God, please be with all those who are in need of your help. There's nothing wrong with that, and we've all done that, and we'll do that. But when you have opportunity, make it intentional and specific in praying for the person who really needs the help. Now, 
I know it's difficult. I know that when you get those emails or those text updates that come from either someone here at church or maybe a friend of yours, that you say, I'm going to pray for that person. And if you're like me, you get busy. You get wrapped up in what you're doing right at that moment. And then later that night, you think, wait a minute, there was someone I was supposed to pray for today. So why not take a split second? You know, Nehemiah, as we're going to study pretty soon, had those arrow prayers, we sometimes call them. God, please help me. As he goes before the king. And so prayer doesn't have to be 10 or 15 or 20 minutes long. Not that there's nothing wrong with those lengthy prayers. But a simple 20-second prayer while you're sitting at your desk and you read the email that said Sister Smith just got taken to the hospital with some sort of a disease or some sort of an issue and you go to God and say, God, I want you to be with Sister Smith right now. I'm concerned about her. Do it then. Do it now. Don't do any other activity until you get that done. And then, and I've said this now a half a dozen times in the course of our time together, don't be bashful in going to the person for whom you have prayed and saying to them, I want you to know I've prayed for you. That's the pattern in the New Testament where Paul says, I want you to know I prayed for you. I think, as I've said half a dozen times, we're reluctant to do that because it sounds like we're boasting. Hey, I want you to know I prayed for you. No, that's not what Paul was saying when he says, I prayed for you. He wants you to know I prayed for you because it is beneficial that you know that and encouraging to you. A second thing that we are to do is to be productive. Again, I want to be a worker for the Lord. Diligent work has always been seen as something that is godly, as something that is next to God. We are to be hard workers. We are to be industrious. We are never to be lazy. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 9, this is one of a dozen Proverbs that we can turn to where Solomon the wise man talks about the importance of industrious work. He says, he who is slothful in his work is a brother to him who is a great destroyer. And we know in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, it's one of a number of places where it talks about a person who doesn't work doesn't deserve to eat. Or, as Paul said to Timothy, is worse than an unbeliever. He who does not provide for himself or for his family. Now, Lord willing, two weeks from this morning, we're going to engage in a study of 2020 vision when it comes to our occupations and the way that we work and the way that we are not to be men-pleasers and we are to be God-pleasers. But I thought it was interesting just to point out two weeks in advance of that, that diligent work is important and being productive is necessary. How do I know that? Go back to Colossians chapter 1 and look, if you would, at verse 10. So that you may walk worthy of the Lord. The word walk is a verb. I don't know that you could ever find a biblical passage that talks about sitting in, turn, in, in, in the context of doing God's will. In fact, Psalm 1 talks about sitting as being a progression towards evil and moving away from everything God has asked us to be. Walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. I want you to note the key phrases in verse 10. If you like underlining things in your Bibles or you like making notes, these are four phrases that jumped out to me just in verse 10 that talk about industrious aspects. One is to walk worthy. 
So we can walk in an unworthy way, right? Yeah, we can do that. But we are to walk in a worthy way. To borrow from Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, we are to walk circumspectly with a sense of caution. Secondly, he says, we are to be fully pleasing to him. That should be humbling in and of itself. There's a sermon just right there in that three-word phrase, in that I have the capacity to be fully pleasing to my God. You say, well, wait a minute. How can I do that when I'm not perfect? Well, mix a little bit of grace in and a little bit of faith. Shake them up together, and what do you get? You get a faithful child of God who is pleasing fully to him. Thirdly, be fruitful. I love the idea of what it means to be fruitful. I, was, I saw yesterday out in California some friends who had an orange tree. And there were so many oranges that they had to have 20 people come over from the local congregation to harvest those oranges. And there were boxes and boxes and bags filled with oranges. Because that tree was fruitful. That tree was doing what it was supposed to. Remember what Jesus would do when he would come across a tree and it didn't bear any fruit? He'd cut it down or he'd destroy it or he'd say curse and it'd be dead. Because we always are to be fruitful in the work of our Lord. And then the last thing that jumped out to me in verse 10 where he says increasing in the knowledge of God. By the way, that's one of the reasons, not all the reasons, but that's one of the reasons why coming together regularly Sunday mornings, once we get back to Sunday evenings, Wednesday evenings, personal Bible studies, family Bible studies, group Bible studies, men's studies, women's studies, young people studies, college answers. That's why we do so many of those things. The elders didn't suggest, nor did... Uh, uh, David or I come up with a study for someone and say, well, we're just bored. We just want to have a study just for the fact. No, it's for a purpose so that we can be more pleasing to him, be more fruitful, and be ever increasing in knowledge. Thirdly, we need to be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Look, if you would, at verse 11. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Again, strength is a very biblical concept. You could go through and have a study, if you'd like, on your own about what it says to be strong in the Bible. I was thinking about all the different places that we could turn to, and there was a couple of places that jumped out to me from uh, Isaiah. And I wanted to just read four verses from Isaiah before we go back to the New Testament and then look at the verse itself. In Isaiah chapter 40 in verse 29, and some of these verses are a little bit familiar to you. Verse 31 is, is probably quite familiar, but back up to verse 29 of Isaiah chapter 40, and then we'll read these four verses together. He who gives power to the weak, it is he who gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord, talk about a fulfilled life, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So he's making this comparison between a younger person who you would suspect is going to be more uh, fit, more able, more strong at 
hiking or running or at the very least walking. And he says they're going to faint. But those who count on the Lord, they will mount up with the wings of eagles and they will have strength that will never be taken away. Then drop down about 10 verses to the 41st chapter in verse 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. If you like underlining things in verse 10, he says, I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you. Those are the three things that God says he's going to do. Did God quit doing those things 2,700 years ago after Isaiah was written? No. Those are things that God still does for us today. Go back to the book of Ephesians. As you know, as good Bible students, that comparing Ephesians and Colossians uh, is kind of a Bible 101 or maybe 201 level kind of thinking. But in Ephesians chapter 3, in verse 14, there the apostle says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And he says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. And then you go to chapter 6 and verse 10 and the next 7 or 8 verses. You see where he says be strong by putting on the armor of God. Those are things that are not suggestions, nor are they merely conceptual in the sense that God is just trying to make us feel good. He wants us to really understand the importance of being strong. So go back to Colossians 1 and look at verse 11 for just another minute or two. There in verse 11 it says, according to his glorious power. According to whose power? God's power. What makes it so that I have a fulfilled life? My power, my influence, my riches, my wealth? No, that's not what makes a fulfilled life. It's not of our own power. Secondly, he says, for all patience and all longsuffering. Go back to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and verse 12, among other places, and you see the importance of being willing to suffer. Go to 1 Peter, read those five chapters, and you see on and on and on he talks about suffering as a Christian. And doing it with patience, doing it with long-suffering. And, he says, do so with joy. Remember Paul's status in writing these things. I was thinking about that this past Wednesday evening, if you were here. Brian Walsh made a very good point about the fact that 2020 has been a challenging year at the very least. And will probably continue to be a challenging year for some time. But think of all the blessings that we have in spite of a virus and in spite of joblessness and in spite of all the, the, the ugliness that is around us, we are richly blessed as Christians. And he used Philippians chapter 3 as one of his key places. What was Paul doing when he wrote to the church at Philippi? He was sitting on an island somewhere, uh, flipping through uh, a magazine and watching the waves. No. He was in prison while writing these things. He was without the freedoms that he was normally accustomed to. And we need to appreciate the perspective of someone who says, be strong, even when you don't feel like being strong. Just get up and go. I want to be a worker for the Lord, after all. And the fourth and final thing that will help you to have a really fulfilled life is by being thankful and appreciative to God. 
Go back to verse 12. In the New King James, it says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. If you're reading from the NIV this morning, it says, Giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. You know, I think we all understand the importance of being thankful. In fact, just this morning, I, I, I saw a, a, a brother in Christ who is trying diligently to train his children in the way of the Lord. And someone gave his child a present, and he said, what do you say? The child says, thank you. Okay, good. That's what we want, right? We train our children to be thankful. We train each other to be thankful and appreciative. But why is being thankful so important? Is, is, it, is it because pleasing our parents? Is that why we as parents, I mean, partly that's why we train our children that way. But why is being thankful so important? After all, giving thanks to the Father because he has qualified us to be partakers in the inheritance of the kingdom of life. Let me suggest to you that being thankful is important in and of itself because we set the right examples. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, he says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We set the example to others by being thankful. Let me suggest also, if you want to take the time to go back and peel apart the pages of 1 Chronicles, and find there in chapter 16, verse 24, where it talks about being thankful you are teaching others. That in that ancient period of time, being thankful and appreciative to God and expressing that thanksgiving is an opportunity to teach others. And then let's face it, ultimately, the reason that we are thankful is because we love our God and because we are thankful to Him and because we want to be pleasing to Him. Chapter 5, verse 18 in every, uh, 1 Thessalonians, in everything give thanks. By the way, that's not just in some things give thanks. And that's hard to apply sometimes. But in everything, give thanks. Let me suggest also, this is why we are the holy people in the light. Let me share with you one final passage all the way back in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, by the way, uh, for those of you that, that care what my favorite books are, is quickly becoming a favorite of mine. Isn't that funny how that works? You study certain books, and then next year you study another book, and then oh, I never noticed some of these things before. I've got a sermon from Deuteronomy 26 that I that I wrote a couple of weeks ago that I'm I'm holding off on, but I'm really looking forward to it. So, I, it's, it's, it's like, as as a preacher said, and, and I'm not trying to be how do I say this? As a preacher friend of mine said some 20 years ago, it's kind of feels kind of funny that for a living. I get to study the Bible. So for those of you men who are younger who are looking for something to do that not only provides you with a way to support your family, but more importantly, gives you a way to do something good, the idea of your work being to read more about the Bible, it's, it's kind of mind-blowing. And that was the perspective that he had 20 years ago, and I never really thought about it that way. But anyway, Deuteronomy, by where we were here. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 7 and uh, verse 6. And we're just going to read a couple of verses. You could read the next five or six verses. But Deuteronomy chapter 7, before I digress. Verse 6. You are a holy people. Appreciate the language of Moses. 
You are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure of all the peoples on the face of the earth. Wow, God wants me to be more special than anybody else. I like that. You know, we like it when people make us feel special. If someone brings you flowers or, or brings you food, sends you a card in the mail, says, I want you to know I like your outfit, uh, whatever the case may be. When someone compliments you, makes you feel good, it's like, thank you. That made me feel good. Because you're made to feel special. God says to you, and you and you, and you and you, you are more special than anybody else. That's spectacular. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people. No, he didn't do it for that reason. For you were the least of all the peoples. But because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand, redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. I love the phrase in verse 8, because the Lord loves you. You know, little kids will tell you, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but what? He's strong. That's not a song designed for children. Okay, it is to a degree. That's an adult song. That's a Christian song. Verse 8, because the Lord loves you. We ought to be thankful to God. Are you fulfilled? Well, I said early on that one of the things that we do in studying the Bible is when we stop reading at verse 12, we say, oh, I want to read further. Well, the bonus for today, throw in two more verses. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness, conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. If you're reading from the New American Standard, it says that He rescued us from the domain of darkness. He transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of of sins. I would suggest that if those three things are present or aren't present in a person's life, that he or she isn't fulfilled at all. The idea being that we want to be transferred, rescued, and redeemed. And that's where Paul was going with this part of his letter in being fulfilled and having a fulfilled life. As we started. We are not here today promising that by becoming a Christian, you can have great, successful children, financial independence, world fame more importance. In fact, sometimes becoming a Christian makes those things a little more challenging to obtain because the stakes are raised and because of the challenges that we face. But we are here offering the salvation of Jesus. It reminds me early in the book of Acts, where there was a beggar, and you recall that the apostle said, I cannot do this for you, I cannot do this, but what I can do in the name of Jesus is provide you with a certain kind of salvation or a limited healing or a healing at that time. So we offer the salvation 
of Jesus Christ by being baptized as is commanded in Mark 16, 16 or in Acts 2, verse 38 or in 1 Peter 3, 21. And so if you're ready to become a Christian today, knowing very well that you want to have a fulfilled life, we're welcome to help you. If you are living as a Christian and you're not as fulfilled as you need to be, perhaps because you're not doing one of these four things or perhaps you've got sin in your life, if there's something that we can help you with, if we can pray for you, if we can study with you, and that goes for anybody, at any place, we're happy to study and pray with anyone, anytime, any day. If we can help, we would love the opportunity to do so. Let us know while together we stand and while we sing.